0: look at Genesis 1 in Genesis 1 verse 1 it's a verse probably everybody knows in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth I want to think about that verse keep it in the back of your mind and ask the question, <clears throat> why do bad things happen to good people? And in light of things like Sandy Hook, five-year-old children, and just recently, the Boston Marathon, people just stand and watch in a race. Blown to bits and pieces. I mean, Why? And and two things, at least, we must understand and believe concerning evil. And first is, all men are sinners. There is no such thing as the innocent native in the jungle. And the second thing that we've got to remember and believe concerning evil is that God is sovereign now that means God controls all things even evil God plans God ordains God controls God determines God predestines and wills all things all things now Concerning the notion that all men are sinners, King David says, there are none that doeth good. He says that in Psalm 14. And again, he says, they've all gone aside. They're all filthy. The Apostle Paul, later in the New Testament, he writes, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When when Solomon... Was praying at the temple consecration or the temple dedication, Second Chronicles six. He says, "For there is no man which sinneth not." One of Job's friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, he says, "How much more abominable and filthy is man which drinketh iniquity like water?" And then in Genesis, prior to the flood, we read, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So one of the things we've got to get rid of is the notion that there are good people. I know what people mean when they say that, and you know what they mean when we try to have a communication, dialogue, or trying to share with them on a relative scale what they're talking about. Because they would look at something like a little five-year-old at an elementary school. But ultimately, when we give the truth, and, and, and this is our standard, the Word of God, there's no such thing as an innocent, you know, native Good person. And secondly, concerning God's sovereignty over evil. Now, we tend to be afraid of evil. I mean, Hollywood makes fortunes off of our fear of evil. Um, and that's because it looks random. You know, it looks out of control. I mean, it's just something by chance. Here you are, you're standing watching a marathon, and all of a sudden. Bam! Where did that come from? Just out of nowhere. Random. Chance. That's the way it appears to us. Evil just comes. And so there's that fear we have of it. And yet, the Scriptures command us not to be fearful. Look at Isaiah 41. Keep your finger, Genesis. We'll, you, know, you can memorize it quickly. Genesis one. But Isaiah 41.10 Isaiah 41, 10. Fear thou not. That's a command. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. We're not to fear because God is in control. Flip over a page or two to Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45 and look at starting at verse 5 of Isaiah 45. God's speaking through the prophet Isaiah and he says, I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. God gives account to no one for what he does. He's not accountable to anyone. He's not responsible to anyone. He says, there is no one else. He says, no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. Verse 6, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. That's what we need to learn. And look at verse 7. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Some versions might want to change that word evil to calamity. Yeah, you know, they want to get God off the hook. We'll change that word to calamity. Man, you can call it calamity. I don't care. That was calamity in Boston. At the marathon. Okay? That's calamity at Sandy Hook. That's crazy stuff. The Bible calls it evil. And that word evil, it's the same word that's used back in Genesis. The first time we see the word evil, and what is it? It's the tree of what? The knowledge of good and not calamity, evil. Talking about sin and disobedience. And, and God is saying there's none else. This is creation language that Isaiah is using. Look at verse 12 of the same chapter. God, I have made the earth and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens, and all their host have I commanded. This creation language. Look at verse 18. For thus saith the Lord that created The heavens. God Himself that formed the earth and made it, He hath established it. He created it, not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. He created it, and there's no one else. He makes that clear. Now jump back to Genesis 1 again. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And I'll just read a few notes I've got from one of my favorite authors, a man named Gordon Clark, from two of his books one called Predestination in the Old Testament, and the other one called Biblical Predestination. So I guess you can tell what this is about. But he says creation implies the complete control of. Of the sovereign creator over the dependent creature. And guess what complete control is? Predestination. Think about it. What else can it be? There's no one else. Creation ex nihilo, that that phrase that means out of nothing, implies two things. First, there was no antecedent power to stimulate God. I know the Big Bang theories and all these physics theories, and they're always trying to look for the power behind the power behind that power that caused the Big Bang and what was behind that power. God says there was nothing. There's no antecedent power before him. He created out of nothing. You look at verse 1, and there weren't even angels, okay? Because it says he created heaven. Okay? There was no antecedent Power to stimulate God. There was no one to suggest plans to God or to suggest alterations to the plans God had. Still less could anyone defeat God's purposes. God was alone. He could do as he pleased. Now, in the second place, after God created something, the thing had no authority to complain. Why hast thou made me thus? And do it. See, since God is the creator, he cannot be unjust. Whatever he does is right, because he's God. He's the creator. There's no one behind him. There was no other power. Nothing before him. He says over and over and over, we read in Isaiah, there is none else. None beside me. He's alone. God. And all objections to this and to predestination, all the stuff you run into when people object to it, presuppose that man is in some way or other independent of God and has obtained from somewhere or achieved by his own efforts some rights over against God. And you think about it, when people speak of free will, my question is, free from what? Free from God? It doesn't fly. Now, consider how this relates to Jesus Christ. In In John's Gospel, in the first chapter, the first 18 verses... This is what some people call the prologue. It's like an introduction. Books, good books, you read books, they have introductions a lot of times. When John wrote his gospel, he set up an introduction, those first 18 verses, to tell you what he was going to be writing about. And the subject was Jesus Christ being God. That's what he lays out in this first 18 verses, He says, I'm going to tell you through the rest of this gospel that this Jesus, who I'm writing about, is God. And he begins it. With creation language, look, look at it. And I know you're all familiar with it, but look at it in John 1. John 1, verse 1. And he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now he's nice, told us what he's writing about, who he's writing about. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And he goes on in the next few verses to tell us that he's talking about Jesus Christ. He's this God. He's this one that there is none beside, who's created all things, who is in control of all things. Paul does the same thing in in, uh, Colossians. Look at that in Colossians uh, chapter 1. He does the same thing. Verse 16, speaking of Jesus, he says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So, what does that mean for us? Well, if we Christ before us, who can be against us? This this is simply just another way for us to look at Romans 8:28. What I'm saying here tonight, where Paul says that all things all things, just like what we've been saying. All things work together for good to them that love God. And when he says all things, he means literally all things. Capital letters, bold. All things. Remember, Paul's not saying God comes in behind someone and cleans up a mess. Okay? And cleans up all this evil and turns it into good. No. We've already seen there is none else. Okay. Paul is saying that God does all things well. God does all things for his own glory. And we see that God does all things for the good of his people. Paul says all things are according to to God's purpose. So when we're tempted to complain and if you're like me it's often when you're tempted to complain or or, or even to question the goodness of God when things happen to us that we think are evil And I'm not saying they're not evil. I'm not saying that this is some kind of uh, philosophy or something that says there's no evil. The Bible calls it evil. but let us remember that we have a sovereign God who is working out things in our lives for his own glory, for our good, and according to his purpose. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this evening. I thank you, Lord, for being able to be here once again. Lord, when we look at things like this, the very command that you say, fear not, Lord, my my knees are weak at these thoughts, Lord, to... See, the need to practice what I preach, to to believe this, Father, we appeal to you even now, Lord, that you would help our unbelief, cause us to trust you in all things, cause us to believe in your good pleasure as you control all things. I pray, Father, now that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear as our brother comes to to preach the word of God to us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.